This is part two of a three-part podcast. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul conversation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. Okay. I, uh, I'm i going to come back to – I said, Jay, you're next. So, Jay, go ahead. And then Katie. What if you ran like a like – um, what if you launched like a permaculture social lab or permaculture community lab or something like that where you offered it to the boots that if they wanted to – so it's not an obligation – but if they wanted to, they could host some sort of social recreational event as part of their boot time. And um, and if enough people showed up, then they would be able to continue to – to run that. And in doing that, it would become something that would become an ongoing offering at Wheaton Labs there for people that come and visit to make it a more interesting place to visit. And again, a more interesting place to become a boot, more interesting place to become, you know, an ant or deep roots, all uh, supporting all aspects of everything that is that you're doing. Um, I, th- I, th- I think that, uh, what, what are the, what's the word when you try to, to make it seem like a bug is a human. You're giving the the bug human properties. You're anthropomorphizing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're anthropomorphizing the boots. <laughs> I want the boots to think these thoughts and be like this. Instead, they are their own human beings who have their own ideas about what they're going to do and things of that nature. And so, so basically, so it's like. Wouldn't this be a benefit to them because they? It's like, oh well, you could do <sighs> worky work thing, but if there's something that you really love. And if you're interesting enough in doing it and other people really love it too, then yeah, okay, we'll let you spend two or three hours doing that instead. And, and because it enriches the environment. And so, and if you don't, you don't have to just keep working. But if you do have this thing that you're really passionate about and maybe it is creating something for, you know, building something or for like a deep roots person, it could be building something that they actually need for their, for their property. And it's like, Oh, well, if you offer it as other people can come out and hang out and be a part of it with you, then there's some benefit benefit to doing that. And then if it turns out to be something that drives traffic to your property where people are like, oh, I came out because I was really interested in that, then there could be some coin associated with that. But uh, very little output from you and um, easy to manage. The boots have the whole weekend, you know, and they have all the evenings and weekends to do whatever they want. And uh, and so I'm all for them setting up events to be able to do something. Now, you're saying to, to use boot time for it. And it's like that gets into a tricky space because I would say about one boot out of three has proposals exactly like what you're suggesting. However, what they actually want to do is – Say, yeah, I spent 20 hours on that, but nothing came of it. Oh, well. And really what they were doing was bonding with their phone. Yeah. And I kind of feel like a big part of the boot camp is, is, is like to build these permaculture experiences. And, um, 
uh, I kind of feel like we have the Evelyn program. In fact, we've had people who've come to the boot camp and they evolved into a much greater role through hard work. And, and, uh, I think, uh, Josiah comes to mind. We were just talking about him and, um, you know, look at the, he said, uh, he, he, he suggested this project and he did it. And I think he did a great job. And we've had other people who've, who have done other amazing and powerful things. But the thing is, is that if we've got a booth that listens to this podcast and hears me say something like, Oh yeah, you want to try it? You can do it. But I think, I think most of the people that are here are here for the experience of it. And, uh, and that's a whole other topic, which I don't know. Have all of you gone to see that thread that I made about a farm worker versus a boot in the boot camp? Um, and I, I kind of feel like that's got, that's a podcast all in itself, but being in the boot camp is about building experiences. And, uh, but sometimes part of it is, is that a person really, 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 really needs the structure of the boot camp to build experiences. And they just have a powerful grave craving for video games and weed. And, and it's like, uh, but we don't have weed here and we don't have video games here. And so it's kind of like they want to try to find a way to transform the boot day into video games and weed. Mm. And it's like they need us to provide the structure to keep them focused on building experiences. And there's reasons. There's all, there's so much to talk about down that road, but okay. What if you, what if you just ran it on the weekends then just said, made it a thing like, Hey, thinking about doing something like a permaculture community lab option on the weekends. And if you happen to get people to come out to, if you come up with some cool idea to do on the weekend and you get people to come out and, and because of your cool idea or you guys work as a group and come up with multiple cool ideas, then you can split the, split the coin. Uh, again, I'm thinking of ideas that cost you nothing and yeah. can generate revenue and get more people onto your property. Love these ideas. Love these ideas. These ideas are great. Having the boots do them. Awesome. Great. <laughs> there, there are challenges, but they can all be overcome. The problem is nobody shows up. I mean, yeah, how many, we didn't have enough people for the PDJ. And I can't help but think that if we had, you know, 20 events per year instead of three, that we would have like one-tenth of the number of people attending the events or maybe one-fifth or something like that. They would all be under-attended. And, and so the problem is not setting up the event. We're having no trouble with that at all. The problem is, is getting people to attend. Now, I think that the, the suggestion about me going out and speaking more is good. However, it does require me to do it, and we're having trouble, you know, getting into those events. There's all kinds of events that love to advertise on Permies, but they don't want me as a speaker. And it's like they've got their reasons. They, 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 oh, we're family friendly, so we don't want Paul Wheaton there or whatever. Whatever is their reason is their reason. And that's fine. They get to have those reasons. But at the same time, if I'm putting in 
crazy, crazy hours just to get to where I'm going. And I'm, I'm kind of dropping a lot of balls along the way uh, as is. It's very difficult for me to spend the four hours required to just have conversations with people at an event to get things set up the way that they would like it set up. And so now granted, I've got assistance now, but, um, and and I'm going to get to the assistant thing here in a little bit. That's a whole other thing. I think that the bottom line is, is like, hey, Paul, why don't you just take an hour a day and do TikTok and then take another hour a day and do Twitter and take another hour a day and do this other project and another hour a day and do this other thing and just do those every day. And then you'll be, you'll be great. And it's kind of like, well, First of all, um, I'm I, I'm already dropping a whole bunch of balls, and so I'm not even getting my other stuff done that I need to get done. And so if I take another hour a day out for one of these, I have to sacrifice something. And based on everything that I know at this time, um, I don't I don't. I think I'm on the optimal path now. Now, if I, when I went to Utah to do that speaking gig for four days, I dropped a lot more balls and I had to cancel other things in order to be able to do that event. But it was in the name of trying to entice people to our physical location things. And again, everything you're saying, I agree with. I, I think it's smart and a really good idea. And in practice, so far, not the best results. But let's do this. Let's Okay, first, Katie, you, you've had your hand up for a long time. You've got a thing to add to this. So I thought some of the ideas that came up were really interesting. Um, tell me if you have tried this one. It sounds a lot like what, um, what I thought people were going to say when they started what they were saying. <laughs> but they didn't quite say it, so maybe... Um, I'm curious if you've tried this already. So if you had, let's say you had a volunteer for uh, on a farm or a homestead within, let's say within an hour of a big place like Seattle, with lots of people. Um, and so this volunteer says, come to my place. You can host the event at my place and build something interesting. Um, so like a rocket mass heater event or just, just anything that's interesting. And so you have a location that isn't, that is a volunteer location. So it doesn't cost you to reserve the location, for instance. Now it probably costs to set up a porta potty or whatever you have to do. But, um, so there might be some, some auxiliary cost. But, and then you would have the event at a place where people could come out without as much of a commitment, like, like flying over somewhere. Oh my gosh, I loved coming to Wheaton Maps. That was so cool. But it required so much out of me and it was so worth it. But doing it again, I can't, I just can't always get my life into a place where I can do it. And I hope, I hope it can come out again sometime soon. I can't be there in October. I would love to. Um, but, but if it was just an hour away from someplace, now I'm saying Seattle, I'm close. I, I visit families who live close to Seattle. So for me, like that's where my mind immediately goes. It's a similar biome, but it wouldn't have to be that. It could be anywhere where there's a bunch of people and having the event where people don't have to give such a, um, getting a, such a, a commitment to flying out somewhere and there's a larger audience. Have you, have you tried that already? So have you seen the world domination gardening videos? Yeah. Okay. All right. 
So, um, they asked me to come and teach a workshop in San Diego. And so I, I, I went. You know how much I charged them for that? Zero. I did it for them for free because of exactly what you're suggesting. And so, um, uh, now the weird thing was is that those guys were there videoing and I, and they told me they were going to do a Kickstarter and I said, I hope you get rich. And, um, and then after, uh, what, seven or eight months of comedy, all the video ended up in my lap and I was asked to turn it into a product. And so we, we did. Um, I didn't know I was going to get the video. I, I just thought I was going to stand in front of the cameras and talk about, you know, building ponds and stuff. So I've done that. Um, uh, did, did it bring a lot more here? I don't know, maybe, but it, there were a lot of people who came to that event that I'd never met before. When we did the speaking tour, I got to see a lot of people. That was in 2012, I think. And a lot of people came out to see me. Um, and, uh, which was awesome. Oh, people brought me so much pie. It was so cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, uh, but the, the bottom line is, is how are you, how do I feel about going to another place and then putting on a workshop so I can visit with people and teach them stuff and then maybe they'll come out and do more stuff way out in Wheaton Labs. And it's like, you know, been there, done that. Um, and, uh, but, but okay. Oh, well, all right. Go, go ahead, Katie. That's not, um, that's, I wasn't, that's not exactly what I meant. Um, okay. getting them to come out to Wheaton Labs is, is maybe more of a, a, a task than some people can really manage. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's wonderful to come out. Um, but what I was suggesting is that you would, you would have a host, a volunteer. Let's, let's just do an example to make it easier to talk about. But let's say it was a rocket mass heater event. So they are the host. Um, they probably, in this case, they're not getting paid. Maybe they get a rocket mass heater out of it at the end. Hopefully they would. And then, but you charge for tickets to this event on their property. And you, so you're the one filming it. You're the one. So it'd be like an event at Wheaton Labs, except that it wouldn't be at Wheaton Labs because it would be closer to all the people. <laughs> and then if you got enough people, you could have the event, you, you would have the cost of like, uh, traveling over there and, and putting yourself up in a place to stay. Maybe you'd bring a couple of rocket mass heater people with you. So you'd have their travel and their place to stay. So there would be some cost, but it could potentially bring in, um, revenue and you might have more people come out for a weekend or come out, like drive over every day from a major location that would make this fuel, um, and it would fuel the tickets to the event and hopefully it would fuel sales of like rocket mass heater plans and other things that people can buy digitally without requiring people to travel, um, to you as much. Okay. Now, help me to understand the tie-in between that, which I am sure I'm not going to ever do, but, but I'm trying to be open <laughs> to the idea. And if I just received $500,000 and, and I got to do the perpetual motion machine and it must affect global change. 
So are you saying that once a week I appear in another city to help with something and then each at each event um there might be 10 people attending and so if I so by the end of the year I've reached 500 people I'm imagining that if you are closer so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to imagine the barriers to entry why aren't people showing up when we do have would do seem to have a lot of interest. So what is keeping people from being able to show up? Um, and also what, so you're not um, currently big on TikTok or like there's certain ways that you are not marketing, but there's other ways that you are. So what mm-hmm. ways are you comfortable that, that grows your audience now? And can you um, play on those strengths to, to do things in a way that's familiar to you, it's similar to what you've done, and then could reach more people or to help lower air and, barriers to entry to those people that um, that do want to come out but just can't. But so yes. that's the direction I'm brainstorming. So it might not be the right answer, but I'm hoping that those maybe those questions would be useful. Well, we did tell 112,000 people about our events, and, you know, a handful did buy tickets and came out. Um, so I imagine that there's about 112,000 people that felt like they would like to maybe – they, maybe they felt like they'd like to come out but they can't. Now, at the same time, here's, here is a very important ingredient in all of this. Uh, and that is, remember earlier when I talked about how we had those 12 events all in a row and then the three people came to the events, but they never saw each other. Um, and so one of them was a guy and the guy said that, um, that he followed a podcast and in the podcast, uh, um, the, the person that had the podcast said, I'm going to teach a class. And so I'm going to teach this class to 24 students. So the first 24 to sign up can come to the class for free. And so it was like four hours later, the four hours later, the class was full. So then he came up and he said, uh, like a few weeks later, it's like that went over really well. Uh, now I'm going to teach it for really cheap, you know, 24 seats. And again, in like four hours later, sold out. Went really well. You know, polish up the class. And then a few weeks later, he says, I'm going to do it again. And this time it's going to be for a more reasonable price. Sold out in an hour. You kind of see where this is going. The price kept going up and he kept selling it out faster and faster. So, um, the, the key is, is that, um, all of our events are in the red and, um, uh, and so it's like, uh, I think the price that we sell these things for is very, very low. And, um, uh, and still we don't, we don't fill these events. And so it's it's like uh, if it's not from the subsidy from the Kickstarter, we we wouldn't be able to to have these events. And so, uh, but having the events helps us to you know make the content for the Kickstarter. If somebody happened to to take the video, which I think we might solve the take the video problem for future events, so we might have more fodder for future Kickstarters. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, the the idea of uh how i will go to somebody else's house and build something in a very non permaculture place but 
try to say things about permaculture while I'm there, just so that I might be able to infect a few brains and I, and they might turn around and buy some of my stuff and maybe one of those ten will actually come out to my property to be part of another event. That sounds like a really terrible sales plan. I mean, effective, <laughs> yes. But, again, it's kind of like, um, you know, and, and the part of what I was trying to say earlier was, is like there were some of these events where they were to- totally online. And and uh, those brought some people out. That worked out pretty good. But, again, it's like brought two people out. Two. Count them. Two. And it's like, all right, well, I presented at that event for free, you know, and it took me uh, a few hours. I had to pay people a few hours to interact and get things sorted out. <clears throat> and then it probably took, a, you know, two and a half hours of my time, however much or however little that is worth. But we're got to come back to the thing of if I received $500,000. So, Jay, you put your hand up. You have one more thing to add here. Yeah, what if you piggybacking off of Katie's idea? What if you did like a Wheaton Labs host your own lab program on your property? So it uses your property, requires ex attendees, but it's hosted by the other person. And your investment in this would be investing in what would be needed to live stream it and to be able to share what it is that they're doing, generating more content for Kickstarters and other things like that. And so that would be the give to them is like, hey, I'll provide the property and I can live stream it. And then you just make profit off, you make a percentage off of that. And then, of course, you're, they would, people would be paying for accommodations on your property as well. I think, I think that's what we, we've had that set up for years now. Um, I mean, that's part of the Evelyn program. Got it. So anybody, maybe I guess I missed that then. So anybody can come out to the property right now, host an event on the property and. Yeah. I, I think, I think we could do that. You know, and, uh, now you're saying like, and video it, and it's kind of like, um, good luck finding somebody to do that. I mean, you know, for, for every event for which you see video, we probably have three more events for which there is no video, or more likely, there is video. It looks like somebody was riding a roller coaster while they were taking the video and beating the microphone against the ground as they went. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like they, there is video, but I don't know how we can make it in anything. And so, um, fortunately for like this last event, we said for every minute of your video that ends up in the final movie, you'll get this many monies. And, um, uh, I think suddenly people were really careful about audio quality and video quality and things of that nature because they want to get more minutes into the movie. But we've had, we've had people come out that were so-called professional videographers, which, by the way, for every professional videographer that we spend six hours on the phone with working out a deal so that they could come out here and take video, um, for everyone of those that actually shows up, there are four that never fucking show up. And and then of the ones that actually show up, 
maybe only one out of four of those takes any video that can be used for anything, even though they are a so-called professional videographer. So, granted, I love where your brain is going because that's where my brain went like 10 years ago. And it's like, welcome to reality. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, I'm sorry to poop all over your ideas, but these are great ideas. They just don't work because human beings are so human. Now, at the, at Wait. the core of it all, at the core of all of this, and this is kind of the whole thing of like, when you first suggested, if I got $500,000 to somehow have more events and more stuff and more, 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 it's like, I agree. And I kind of feel like the thing to do is like, how do you take $500,000 and spend it in such a way that we fill the events? And and that somehow people who never knew that these events were going on somehow find out. I I kind of feel like that is probably where to go. I mean, the idea of, like, telling people, like, hey, yeah, we'll host your event, which is what you just said. We'll host your event. And then, you know, maybe we'll video it or something like that. And it's like, okay, there's lots of maybe sauce all over that. And uh, I'm open to it. I'm definitely open to it. Now, of course, usually they want something where they can seat a hundred people. I don't think we have that. I think that inside the classroom, if you pack them in tight, we can seat about 45 or so. Uh, Katie, I know you've been out here. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, that seems good. That yeah. Seems right. Okay. Jay, you got your you hand up them? again. Yeah, why don't you tell them uh, if they can fill a classroom with 45, then you'll take some of your investment and uh, and create something where they could actually host 100 people. Um, that would be an option for investment. And my other suggestion for investment then is if your goal is to, how about take some of this and invest in in the quality uh, video equipment that you need so that you can set a video camera up in the back and just let it run and you don't really need a videographer. And it's not as good as somebody that's zooming in and doing multiple angles, but you could have two cameras up and two multiple and do multiple angles. And just then you would know that you always have video of whatever your events are because you've invested in quality video and now you're in, I mean it's not a direct return but it would generate more revenue in the long run wouldn't it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. On this side okay. Here, Paul. okay. I got three things to say. I got three <laughs> things to say. Okay. Thing one. I hope I can remember both of them. Thing one. Um, I would say that for all the people that have come here and they 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 were they, they did a thing like kind of like what you're suggesting uh half of them it's like well that's that was a stinker i mean don't get me wrong we have had some amazing people out here present and it's like oh i i wish we videoed that that was spectacular that was dreamy but we didn't have any video running ouch damn i mean helen wants us to video her whole thing again because she thinks that next year's is going to be twice as good as what was recorded on the video and it's kind of like boy do you know how much i went through to get that video and so it's kind of like uh okay that was, thing one is you you get everything that you asked for and now you've paid somebody to take video or you've paid for video equipment or Whatever. And then it's kind of like, 
and we're not using that video. Just the the content wasn't very good. It's like no amount of editing is going to fix that. So there's that happens sometimes. Not uh, not not all the time. So for example, Alan Booker is absolutely amazing. Um, he doesn't really want to be videoed very much though, and so it's like okay, all right, we will respect that. It's live action only, PayPal. It's like, all right, all right, fair. And then Helen Atow, amazing, amazing. Um, and so we have video of that. You've seen that. I thought Tim Barker was amazing, and we have video of that. So lots and lots and lots of that. Okay, the other thing is, how about if you just buy some equipment? Okay. Um Oh, yeah. So version 9 of buying the right video equipment, because apparently whatever we bought on version 8, version 7, version 6, version 5, version 4, version 3, version 2, and version 1, those are not acceptable. We need all new video cameras. Not the crap that we bought before, but the good stuff. And lighting and microphones. And cables, lots and lots of cables and adapters and a mixing board because the mixing board that we have now only mixes with and we need to mix with and it's like, so it's kind of like, oh yeah, $15,000 of the good stuff. Then it needs to be operated by somebody. And the first thing they ask is, what are you paying me? And it's like there's there's all kinds of comedy in this space to to a get somebody at all to run the video, let alone somebody who knows what they're doing. And a lot of times the person who knows what they're doing doesn't want to come out here and do it. So now granted, if you throw enough money down, they'll come. <clears throat> And then, uh, then you get to find out how much they actually know versus how much they say they know. And then do you end up with a video product? Um, sometimes you don't. You have to pay them big gob of money. And then, oops, boo-boos. How about if we just do the whole class over again? Ask all the students to come back and the, the, the instructor to come back and just do it again. Okay? We'll just do that. Okay? And then you have to pay me for the second time because I'll be here twice as much, right? But they don't get paid twice as much. It is bizarre. Okay. Here's what I'm, here's what I insist on. I mean, I think this is all good stuff and I want to talk about it indefinitely. And I think I could fix everything if we could get more attendees, you know, for whatever the event is. And it's like, uh, I mean, Vote with your presence. If if people want to see this stuff move forward, you vote with with your actual physical presence being here. And and it's like so often, as has been pointed out, people just don't have time to come out to Montana. And it's like, hey Paul, how about if you go to where they are, unpaid, and uh, just build shit over there in an area. Where for a building that doesn't have the cool permaculture stuff that's at your place. And it's like, 
okay. You know, that is, that is a potential idea. I doubt I'm going to do that. Um, and I've been offered and now people, people, they do, they offer money and stuff like that, but it's just like, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's moving my empire forward. So I, I'm kind of, when it comes to being a speaker, that, in fact, I, 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 uh, what was it last year, a little over a year ago? It's like, okay, I'm going to go through the Seattle and Portland areas. I'm open to speaking gigs and consulting gigs. Zero takers. Zero. So this is where I'm kind of getting to the point of like, maybe there's only 12 people who even listen to this podcast ever. And it's like, so we're recording for those 12 people. And it's kind of, but you can kind of see how these problems are very challenging. And when I'm going to go on this speaking gig, I'll, I'll send an email out to 112,000 people. Surely a few of them live in Seattle, but oh well. Um, all right, Jay, you got your hand up. Yeah, I'm just thinking if the option is, if what you're saying is that the, the bringing more people out to the property is one of the biggest things that you can do, then I'm still thinking about other ways to make the property more attractive to more people. You know, so uh. events cater to a very specific target, but activities could be something that would be low or zero investment of your time, almost zero investment of your time to get it set up, and then creating more options on the property that would get people interested in coming out. Because you said yeah. when you've offered like a smorgasbord of different classes and things like that, then people are more drawn to that because you're catering to a more diverse need set. And so same option is like, I don't know, maybe increase the boot, boot requirement by a couple hours and say, hey, you need to do a couple hours of fun stuff that's open to everybody you know and so i don't care what it is but it's two hours of your time and you host it It could be a reading group it could be a walk in the forest it could be hang out and talk whatever it is but you host it and it's part of the requirement for being here because we're creating more of a culture more of a community here to make it more interesting for more people to come out and then see where that runs to something like that i think if you had more boots in the boot camp there might be one or two boots that would be into that but I think you got to keep in mind that most of the boots in the boot camp are here to gain experience in gardening and natural building and things of that nature. Like, you know, a lot of homestead life, which they haven't really experienced before. And, uh, and then you say, Hey, here's this business opportunity. And it's like, no thanks. I, I think most of them, it's very much this way of, of no thanks. Um, we've, I mean, there's, it's a it's a rich rich space, but I feel a powerful powerful need to be respectful to the boots with what they've uh, asked for for being here, and um, and when you open up certain opportunities, you have to couch it in such a way that and it's like um, yeah anyway, I, I feel like talking about the boot camp is a whole nother podcast. I love the boot camp. And frankly, and I'm sure I've said this in a podcast before, to move the entire empire forward, the number one thing that we need is more people in the boot camp. And um, because if I have more people in the boot camp, I can have these events like what you're talking about. Because then it's kind of like, well, if I've already paid this guy $4,000 to come out and nobody bought a ticket, zero, it's like, but I had to commit to the $4,000 before he would even come out, then it's kind of like, 
Not a problem. Just, you know, come do your thing with the boots in the boot camp. And, uh, and hopefully that knowledge will persist. Hopefully several of those boots will be here for 10 years to come. And that knowledge that they learn from you will, will persist. Um, and, uh, uh, but when you've got only two people in the boot camp and, and it's like, uh, they might not be here for 20 years, then it's kind of like, um, it, it's challenging. It's, 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 it's difficult to try to set up those events and things. All right. I, I want to move away from talking about hosting events here. And, and granted, I kind of feel like, I, I just want to express, I think that the events that we've had here, especially recently in the last few years, like the PTJ, I think the PDC, so Katie has taken the PDC and the PTJ, um, I think, did you, you also took the skip event. You came for the skip event too, right? Katie? No, I didn't. I would have loved to. I did come for the, the other two, but not the skip. Okay. All right. All right. So you were here for four weeks. And I think that those two events are absolutely glorious. I think, I think the events here are, are just magnificent. And, um, so I, uh, um, I kind of feel like when it comes to putting on a quality event, the PDJ and the PDC are first rate. And I think that the last time we did a rocket mass heater jamboree, it was also first rate. And the number one reason that we do not offer a rocket mass heater jamboree at this time is that something of mine had to be sacrificed so that I don't keep dropping so many balls because I lined up people to do certain tasks and they said, count on me, Paul, I will take care of this for money. So I lined up the money and I paid them. And then they said, I decided to do something else instead. You have to honor all your commitments, but without any help from me. Poof, they're gone. And the thing is, is that I just get spread too thin. And I'm trying to fill in for all these people that flaked out, that said that they were going to do a thing, and they flaked out. Because that's what human beings are famous for. Now, granted, over time, you start to develop relationships with certain people you know you can count on. And so we're getting more of those people. I can count on... Des, I can count on Steven. I can count on Andreas. I can count on Raven. I can, I've got a list of people I can count on and we're building more and more and more every year. But at the same time, I can't move forward unless I take risks. And so I take the risks and then people flake out and then I don't have enough time to be able to set up another event. And so then the thing is, is, hey, Paul, why don't you just set up Another five or six events and everything will be good. And it's like, what do I set? Do I sacrifice the PDC and the PDJ to set those up? And, and granted, I could have $500,000 in order to be able to pay people to set them up, but then it takes me just as much time to train them. And then by the time I got them trained to do it, then they move on to other paths. And now I have to train somebody else. 
Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of Pi? Where there's Pi at permies.com. This Pi grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. To get Pi, go to permies.com forward slash Pi to get the inside scoop of what Pi can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward slash Pi. All right, let's do this. Katie, you got your hand up. So that sounds very frustrating. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That's I'm so sorry those things happen. <laughs> I wish that they didn't. It's just um, a lot to go through, and it's wonderful. You are, you are doing amazing. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about is growing growing your audience. What I think I feel like for any business, um, but especially your business, growing your audience, is is important. Um, and what what my question for you is: What do you think are good ways to grow your audience? What are some things that you are comfortable trying, um, putting your energy into for that? <laughs> well, um, and this is kind of a, the focus of this podcast. Two different people gave me a very substantial amount of money last year, and they said no strings attached. And my first thought was grow my audience. And so I, um, I quickly learned that, um, a publicist or a PR person or anything like that, money down the drain. And so, um, put it into advertising. So, um, I put a bunch of money into advertising, most of which resulted in zero. No help whatsoever of any kind. There are some things that did pay off to a small degree, like like they um, they brought back maybe a pinch more than what I paid out. So so grow your audience. Very very good suggestion. Very good. And um and and whereas some of the ideas that have been presented so far were kind of like I take a week off of my time, which means something has to be cut out. But I take a week, I, I go somewhere and I teach 10 people how to build a rocket mass heater or whatever. And now I've reached 10 people. And so that is, uh, so I'm kind of feeling like that's not a really great use of my time. Um, I like the idea of spending an extra day on a project. And maybe I will reach another 10,000 people. I like those kinds of things. Or if I have money, how can I leverage the money to somehow bring um, uh, a lot more people to the empire? Now, it does also seem like if I can spend uh, like $1,000 and sell $2,000 worth of the Better World book, that would be an excellent perpetual motion machine. But I don't have anything down that road that pays off. And so I'm, I, I don't, that is not a thing that I can do. Okay. Katie, you still have your hand up. Is there, did I, did I answer your question or is there more? Well, it's more like I want to ask you more questions about like, so for one thing, like if you just financially, if you put 
money into a CD or something like that. So what, 5% right now? I don't know. And could that take some things off your plate? Like, are some of the things on your plate something that money would solve so that you have more time to put into advertising or event or whatever, whatever it is you think is, is the best thing? Um, I, um, and that's part of the reason of this whole podcast for today is, is to kind of try to figure out like if the money came in, what would I spend it on? And I kind of feel like it, it turns out to be a far more difficult question, a far more difficult thing to do than, uh, than I originally thought. I thought, Easy. I know exactly where I'm going to spend this money. I know what I'm going to do. And instead, now I do, after, after the last couple of rounds, I do have some ideas. I do have some places where I'm going to, where I, I, I would, I would do things differently. And, and so that's part of the function of, of this podcast today. But you're saying put it into a CD and then have that money just perpetually coming in. And it's like, I don't think that that's respectful to the terms of this money that I, which by the way, total fiction by me. Um, so back at the beginning of the podcast, $500,000, it must affect positive global change and it must result in getting $500,000 back. So it's like, uh, it needs to be, it needs to end up as a perpetual motion machine, which, um, and so I think that, I think that, you know, contrary to what you just suggested, I think it's appropriate that the whole $500,000 has to be spent within one year. But that's not a CD. And so, um, I don't think putting it into Bitcoin is a good idea either. It's like, it's not about investing it for the future or anything like that. It's about spending it. How do you spend it? How do you spend it respectfully? How, where do you put the money so that it affects positive global change and it's a perpetual motion machine? So, all right, Jay, you've got your hand up. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I mean, when you list off the people that you can really depend on and how much time and energy they probably save you in all the areas that they help out, um, I'm thinking back on your your podcast that you did with Diana Leaf Christian, and she talked about community glue, you know, and what makes people stay in community and what keeps communities working. And so what about investing in those kinds of things, you know, areas where it's like, okay, how can you build your community so you have more help and not just help, but help from people that you really can depend on and are going to stick and then also increase your retention rate. And in doing all that at the same time, driving more people to want to come out and visit because it's just a more interesting place to be making your life easier. Oh, that is it. That is, that's where I'm at right now. After 10 years, that is the thing. Now I'm going to start off by saying about seven years ago, so back when Jocelyn was still here, then me and Jocelyn and Fred sat down and kind of went through all of these things, but kind of like, okay, what do we do in order for there to be far more interest? Because at this moment, the Bullock brothers over near Seattle, but they're on, you know, they're in the San Juan Islands near Seattle. 
They have 400 people per year applying to be in their skill builders program. And those people pay, I believe, something like $300 each just to apply, but only eight people each year will be accepted. And it's like, holy shit, you know, that's a lot. And it's like, why don't, and, and so we, at the time, seven years ago, it's like, okay, what's the most beautiful thing that we have here at this time? That is a complete project. And we were like, Willow Bank, <laughs> which Katie improved, but Willow Bank, that's, that's the most beautiful thing. And it's like, really? That's, that's it? After all these years, that's the most beautiful thing that we have. Cause at the time we had Allerton Abbey and Cooper Cabin, but they were in pretty rough shape and they were not done. And, um, so, um, seven years ago, we made the decision. What we need to do is we need to girdify Allerton Abbey. We need it to have a fence around it, one acre, lush gardens, and Allerton Abbey is beautiful and amazing and perfect in every way. And everything inside that fence is spectacular. We need this one perfect piece of permaculture paradise and then everything will fall into place after that and we have not yet achieved that but that's still the tippy top katie you got your hand up i have a question for you what what would you just love to do what would like if if you had a bazillion dollars like what would be the first thing that you would do you would be involved in like you were like i'm going to do this thing because I can, like, I don't know what inspires you. Like what would be your top thing? All right. Let's say I could, I could just, uh, hire people in a minute. Um, maybe because I've, I've got like somebody and I can say, I want you to go and hire a great roundwood timber framer or roundwood builder and, and, you know, we're going to build six Wafatis, one at a time. We're going to learn lessons from each one. And I want you to hire videographers. And we're going to – so, you know, I I love this idea. But I want – how about if we – how about if we circle back to this a little later in the podcast? And let me finish up with what Jay was talking about because, Jay, um, uh, ask – Ask your question again or say your thing again. And I want to, cause I had two points and I covered point one, which is make Allerton Abbey glorious. Oh, wait, I remember. Wait, why don't you, why don't you just do that? What do you, what if you invested in that and then rolled out something like the herb farm? Cause I know you've gone to the herb farm. I remember oh, you yeah. went to the herb farm yeah. did something like that on your property and put your energy into, into that okay. space and making it amazing and then market the heck out of that for premium okay. dollars. All right. All right. I want you to hold that thought. Why don't you just do the herb farm? I want you to hold that. And I'm going to set it aside, and you're going to you're going to say that again here in a moment. Not the herb farm, but some, the idea no, of no, no, premium no, no, space, I, premium offering. Kind uh, of da, 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 I get it. I get <laughs> it. I understand the question. I can feel the shit coming. <laughs> I want you to. I want you to just hold it for just a moment. So don't forget it. 
All right. We're going to come back to it in a moment because I remember the second thing. I was going to tell you two things. Thing one, make Allerton Abbey utterly glorious. We're not a 100% yet. Last year or the year before, I said 99%, but right now I would say we're closer to like 96%. And really, really what we need is more boots in the boot camp. And then there's an idea that came up before that I'm going to throw in here a little bit later in the podcast. But item number two, because you're saying, why not make things really, really great for the Boots in the Boot Camp, and uh, anybody else, any of the other residents that are here or maybe the seppers that are here or things of that nature. And it's like, I... Oh, wait, I'm not saying that. Just to clarify. Oh. Well, then, let me say my thing, and then you can correct me in a minute then, okay? Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, so now there's two things. May all your pushes be popped. And so I'm pushing too, and it's like, okay. And I got Katie pushed back also, but let me just say the thing. I wish we had a matriarch here. I wish we had somebody who loved to nurture the community that is here now, thus making the boot camp, the separate program, all the other residential programs all way better. And, um, and I, I, I could expand on that for hours. But, um, the thing is, is that it does come off as a bunch of guys and we do have women here. There's women that come, there are women here now, but it does kind of seem like it's kind of a guy place. And things are maintained to a guy standard and, and it's like, I, I kind of feel like, and, and this is horribly sexist of me to even say out loud, but I wish for a bit of a, of a matriarch, somebody that's going to, um, provide a flavor of nurture that an engineer like me just simply doesn't do some some level of nicety that is not me, and um, uh, I feel like that is that is an ingredient we don't have that I wish that we had. Now, okay, now let me start popping things back off the stack. So, um, so Jay, you were saying that that was not your suggestion. What was your suggestion or question or whatever? Uh well, it's evolved now because of what you've said. So I would say, why wouldn't you, why don't you invest in, in creating that then? You talked about how you wish that you had somebody like a, a matron that would take over that. And rather than that, what if you created space where the community could nurture itself, like invest your energy in, in the community glue was what I was originally saying. And then you mentioned Allerton Abbey. And I was, and my thoughts is not creating Allerton Abbey, like, Hey, let's not create everything great for the boots. Let's create one really beautiful example of what permaculture is capable of and then charge premium coin for people to come and visit that, make it as an opportunity for people who want to, come out and host events like you're going to be able to stay in this really sweet space and I offer my property for your event and so that becomes the engine for driving all these other things that you've talked about that girdified space is is the shining example that then you use to drive money in all these other areas so I think that with the girdified space we can 
make a lot of movies and videos yeah. and things like that. And yeah. that, that's going to help a lot. Um, and you'd love it. And I wasn't even thinking so much about, but, but yeah, we could rent it out. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be like Epic coin or anything like that, but it would be something to help pay for th- all the things here. This whole project could become more self-sustaining rather than me having to come up with new Kickstarters to keep paying for everything. Um, and Every uh, piece of it could be a Kickstarter. I mean, if you put it in, if you put it as the idea is like, okay, we're going to do this. This is what we're creating. Help us build step one, step two, however you want to do that. And each one would be a Kickstarter that would, that would make money in the whole creation process of it. But you would have the money up front, like, Hey, we already have the money up front to be able to do this and we need more money to make it amazing. And so this is what our Kickstarter is. Phase one, phase two, phase three. And the end result is, you know, world domination. I I agree with all of that, and so it's been seven years. And while we've made a lot of progress in seven years, it still isn't complete. And there's still, you know, a fair bit to do. And like I said, uh, two, three years ago, I thought we were at 99%. And here we've done so much more, and I kind of feel like it's closer to 96%. And so it's it's there's there's just a lot. There's just a lot. And, um, a, a big part of it is, is it's kind of like, um, uh, the boot camp, you know? And, and it's like, uh, I, I wish that we had more people in the boot camp. And I kind of, I kind of feel like we've made a couple of podcasts about the boot camp and what's great about the boot camp. But I, I, I kind of feel like I, I saw something fairly recently where um uh we were talking about how Dez he hit the two year mark and he got his acre. So now Fred has an acre and Dez has an acre. And they have it on a permanent basis. They have their permanent acre and they can build their own thing and they can build their own gardens and do their own stuff and things like that. And um I feel like there's a lot of beautiful stuff to talk about down this road. But uh Elsewhere on the internet, people lost their fucking shit. And they said, you know, this guy's a fucking idiot. He wasted two years of his life for an acre. Acres in Montana go for a thousand dollars an acre. Hell, you could go and work at McDonald's and do better than that. It's just ignorant. I mean, you're talking, you're a part oh. of a community and people doing all this, all the things that you love to do. And so, I mean, internet trolls will be internet trolls. Oh, but yeah. if you look at the last seven years and what you've accomplished in the last seven years, no. I feel like you're on the edge of, of exponential growth. And even though you say, Oh, I feel like you've only gone from 95 to 96%. Now you have, you know, Fred and Des on the property. You have a well, which has been a, that's a huge deal and an opportunity to, you know, girdify that space even faster than ever before. And, you know, you have people now that you can depend on. You have the boots that you have. And so I feel like you could make it a whole community event to let's, create this space. Let's let's do a quick breakdown. First of all, uh, land in Montana is $1,000 an acre, provided you're buying at least 20,000 acres at right. a shot. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so, uh, yeah, if you're going to lay down $20 million for a property, then yeah, $1,000 an acre is about right. <laughs> um, the, the, but if you're going to buy just one acre, you're probably looking at 45000 uh, maybe more, depending, and you're probably going to be surrounded by sprayers. And it's like, uh, it might not be the best. Uh, next up, when you work at McDonald's, McDonald's doesn't say, hey, you could just, you know, grab one of the bunks right here and, you know, sleep here. And we got a shower for you and everything. And, uh, and you can eat the McDonald's food, you know, <laughs> they, my understanding is, is you don't get to eat the McDonald's food and it comes uh, with they, free cancer <laughs> and they don't, they don't provide a bunk for you. You know, and uh, so it's like, uh, so you're going to have to, and then you're going to need some way of getting to work and back. And granted, there are some ways that, let, that, that opens up a whole other can of worms. But the key is, is that uh, I think a lot of people who come here to the boot camp express that after being in the boot camp for many months, they have more coin in their pockets than if they maintain their previous worky job, um, which I think is really kind of cool. So, um, uh, I just kind of felt like, you know, cause you're saying it's ignorant and it's like, that's exactly what I thought. That was layers and layers of ignorant. The other thing, which kind of led to that thing that I wrote about the farmhand is it's like, because they're like, why don't you just go get this job? And it's kind of like, okay, let's suppose that you're going to do work as a farmhand. You need to arrive on day one. As a brand new farmhand, you need to be able to drive a tractor without being taught how. And here in the boot camp, I think that if you've been in the boot camp for two months, you still can't drive a tractor. You can drive a tractor okay, but you can't drive it as good as that guy can on day one. And I'm not saying the boot camp is all about how to build up the skills to go out and get a minimum wage farmhand job. That's that's not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that this that there's no comparison between the boot camp and some farmhand job. And it's kind of like uh I think that the people that have come here generally don't have the skills to be able to be able to get a farmhand job. And I anyway, that's that's another topic for another day. All right. I I'm going to hit the brakes hard on on all this conversation that we've been having, and I want to proceed with the list that I made. Because that whole thing was all about, like, what do you guys think? And it's like, <laughs> okay, we went down that path. And I and I, I have to apologize for, for having slapped around the things that you guys had to say. But here in my list of all the things that I wrote about how I might potentially spend $500,000, item number one, fund a documentary or movie that is about climate change solutions. So there's a lot of movies that are out, a lot of documentaries, all about climate change. And, and basically their message is all the same. We're all fucked. And, and it also kind of seems like you need to write to your politicians. And, and of course, all of you on this call know how I feel about that. Like it's a rigged playing field. Basically, it is my opinion 
that um, all of the people that currently make money while screwing up the environment, um, what they need is they need all of you to keep sending them money. And if you're upset about it in any way, you should write to politicians. But whatever you do, keep sending that money. Now, that's my opinion. And I, I'm open to the idea of being called crazy and wrong and stupid and all those kinds of things. Jay, you got your hand up. You know, an idea for this documentary that would be really interesting would be if you found a small, like a really small community or a town or even an area of a, of a, uh, municipality that you could install rocket mass heaters in every home. And the documentary would be about the process. I mean, you get agreement from the, from the community, from the, the, the powers that be ahead of time. Like, Hey, this is what we want to do. We want to make a documentary. We want to, you know, focus on this issue specifically. And then all the hoops and everything that you have to go through and actually, and then showing like, Hey, look, we turned this community from this into this, from a climate change perspective. This is what happened with their carbon footprint footprint just with rocket mass heaters, which I know is one of your passion projects. And I think that would be super interesting. I I think that would be interesting too. I think that um uh a big part of getting the documentary made is going to be to find a documentarian who has experience with that and um and then could um I don't know get paid based on some sort of milestones or something with the project and, uh, you know, produce a final product. But basically the idea would be that instead of making a movie about how we're all fucked, to make a movie that's about solutions, like things that people can do. Um, so I uh, – now, granted, a documentary and, – and part of it is, is, like, I have no idea – how to get a show into Netflix, and I don't want to know. And I have no idea, nor do I want to know, about how to go to film festivals and do film festival things. Uh, I I don't really even know how to make a documentary that's good enough that it could be in film festivals, <laughs> let alone good enough to be on Netflix or something like it. Um, so I, I don't know any of that stuff. So, um, I, I, but the idea is, is that when I made this list, then I, uh, wrote this down as an idea of how to spend the money in such a way that it could affect positive global change and it could result in getting the money back. So if, say, $200,000 was put into this documentary, in theory, in time, it could bring $200,000 back. And it would definitely affect positive global change, but, you know, it's, and then that, those funds could then be used for another documentary and another documentary, or it could be used for something else. But basically, a perpetual motion machine. All right, that's, that's one. Um, another would be to, uh, and, and Andreas tells me about how this next one is a possibility. There's ways. He knows of ways to figure this out. Pay for a celebrity 
to be in a podcast or a YouTube video or to attend a PTJ or to be in one of our movies like the PTJ, like the Low Tech Laboratory movie. And so <clears throat> apparently there's a place on the web where you can go and see what the price is for different celebrities. And so you can, you can say, yeah, I'll pay. You know, I've got money in my pocket. I'll pay to have that celebrity come out. And so it's like, well, which celebrity are you going to pay for? Which celebrity? And maybe maybe the idea is to just pay to have the celebrity be in one of the podcasts about a certain topic or something like that. Jay, you have your hand up. If you were going to do that, uh, I guess my suggestion would be instead pay somebody to court celebrities that would really support your project uh, so that they could actually become involved instead of, instead of paying a celebrity just to be a, a figurehead speaker person, instead pay somebody to find a celebrity that would really get what it is that you're doing and become an onboard supporter more long term. I suppose that that's possible. Um, I, I don't know how to find the person to pay that finds the person, but okay. That, that is an idea. All right. Next up, um, uh, straight up advertising, just plain old normal advertising. Um, however, I gotta say that, um, uh, most of the advertising that I got, um, produced nothing. Some of it produced way too little. Some of it kind of broke even, but it's not something you could do again. Some of it, uh, is continuing to work. But it's like I'm, I'm, I put a thousand dollars in and I think I get about a thousand dollars back. And so, um, and I'm currently still paying for that and still getting that. Um, the next item is under advertising. A hiring expert tends to result in money down the drain. So I think that, you know, you could, um, find a person who's an expert at getting advertising. And it's kind of like that whole thing where you got to hire 20 to find one that's good. So I don't know. I can find 20 different people and give them each a big chunk of money and uh, try to have them come up with advertising and then see how they all do. And then if they do good, then give them more. I suppose that's a possibility. Um, and uh, uh, so there would be 20, 20 different people who I'd be paying to come up with advertising solutions. Hiring a publicist or PR firm or something like that. Um, I think it would be kind of the same problem. And, and I've heard from others where those kinds of firms tend to be something where you put in $20,000 and that's enough for you to be able to have a conversation with them about what you want and what are your needs and things like that. And then they need another $20,000. And it's like somewhere around $100,000, they might actually do $2,000 worth of work. And so it's like it's kind of a money pit is my is what I've been told. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't really know. I I did. I do know I shared in the podcast once about how we uh, raised $9,000 to hire a publicist for the Better World book. And I think that resulted in about $400 worth of sales. Um, maybe advertise to affiliate marketing p- 
repeats. So all of my products that are currently in the digital market, which includes a lot of physical products, like the physical copies of the Skip book and the physical copies of the Better World book, um, all of those things have a 50% affiliate fee. And I'm told that 50% is, like, considered good. Like, these affiliate marketing people think that that's good. They'll, they'll have an audience of 200,000 people on their mailing list, and so then they will go. So if, if I paid to advertise in some affiliate marketing thing that affiliate marketing people monitor, that in theory I would get a bunch of people checking out our affiliate program and start selling our stuff. Yeah, Jay, you got your hand up. I know you're not a fan of nonprofit organizations, but um, have you considered, I mean, for about $1,500, you could start a nonprofit organization and then you could be bringing on nonprofit volunteers as a free labor force to cover a lot of these different things. And so the downside on this is that they're not as skilled. You're going to get people coming straight out of college, but because of the OPT program, CPT program, there's a lot of students that are really top-notch students coming out of those programs that need to do 20 hours a week for their visa status to stay in the country. And so um, our nonprofit does this, and I'm currently managing a 100-person team, you know, doing volunteer work. And so um, that might be a very small investment for a huge, huge return as far as labor is concerned. Concerned, um, which can include people with a, you know, um, that could be your managers and things of that nature. It's just your turnover is going to be a little bit higher, but the labor is free. So um, you are the 110th person to suggest that. And um, I'm sure you know setting up a nonprofit uh, can be really quick. Like you could do it in a couple of hours. Of course, at that level, at the one that you set up for a couple of hours, you can't really exactly use it just yet. I mean, there's actually like another hundred hours of work to be done. But, um, how many nonprofits have you set up? One. Okay. It's running beautifully and we've open sourced how to do it. So I can actually share you the step by step process for setting ours up, which is not okay. a religious organization, which is built around permaculture and community creation and that kind of stuff. How much time do you think it would take somebody to set one up so that it could be an effective entity? Uh, I mean, the process of actually setting up the nonprofit organization, not very long because you can do it through LegalZoom and they basically you go through and just fill out, you know, fill out forms. So it feels like doing your taxes for about 10 hours. And then once you've done that, you've got your certificate of authenticity and your EIN number and all that. I mean, you got to wait six months for it to go through the process, but they've got a system that makes it really easy. Okay. All right. All right. Ten hours, which feels like filling out taxes. Yeah. And, and, uh, which is, that's an important distinction. Yeah. Uh, and. It's not fine. <laughs> okay. And then you wait six months to refer all of the, you know, approvals and whatever else. And so there might be some hours woven into that a little bit, but, but let's say it's 20 hours total. And at some point you probably had to set up a bank account somewhere. Yeah, not you don't have to, but oh, yeah, eventually okay. we did. We did, okay. of course. All right, all right. So I'm kind of feeling like that. If this could be when you're when all is said and done, and you're ready to start, you know, doing the whole thing, 
could be something on the order of 50 hours spread no out over six months. Totally disagree with that. I would okay. say under 20, under 20. I'm, under 20, but spread it over six months. Okay. All right. I, I'll accept. But you would get that time back with your first group of volunteers that would come on and be able to do marketing, graphic design, video editing. I mean, there's a ton of people looking for that kind of experience, wanting real world, world experience that are very skilled. And, you know, you would, like I said, you're paying for these people right now. You could have them helping you as volunteers. Again, I'm speaking from experience. I have a hundred, a hundred person volunteer team that I'm managing right now. Okay. Okay. You have a 100 person volunteer team that you're managing right now. Yeah. And, and it's dedicated to permaculture. I think I heard you say that. Yeah. Our organization is dedicated to permaculture. So they're helping out in a variety of different areas. They're not all dedicated to permaculture. Okay. 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 Fair enough. So some of them are dedicated. So now. So now you got all this activity going on and, and so like, here's the great question. What are you, so in the world of perma, for those that are dedicated to permaculture, what are the things that have been accomplished by your group oh, in man. permaculture? So we're one community global. You've probably heard about us and we've generated, I mean, we've invested over 300,000 hours of research and development of our website. We link a ton to your stuff. We've researched a lot of your stuff. We put out tutorials on all aspects of sustainability. Because I have a volunteer team, I've thrown, you know, three or four engineers at the topic of what is the most sustainable faucet and what are the most sustainable faucet producing companies as an example? What is the most sustainable uh, community solution for dealing with plastic, dealing with paper, dealing with glass, dealing with styrofoam? You know, how would you handle that? And if you wanted to export that into, you know, regular urban environments, like how could you run a business dealing with these things that would be community based, you know? And so we're creating open source plans for food, energy, housing, all these different areas. So that's why I'm so interested in what it is that you're doing. And it's so fascinated by your whole process because it's just, uh, it's an amazing learning experience for me just to be able to sit and, and learn from, from the steps you're taking and everything you're doing. Okay. So here's what I'd much rather do. I'd much rather say, uh, something along the lines of, uh, uh, like, for all of my empire, if people have monies that they want to direct to some sort of nonprofit that they could direct it to your nonprofit, and then in turn, you will use those monies for something to help the empire or something like that. But, um, let me, let me just express. First of all, I, I have talked to so many people about setting up a nonprofit which would run in parallel to what we do. Yeah. But I am not going to touch it. I'm not going to touch it with a 10 foot pole. I, I, and it's, let's just say I have a bucket of crazy and it's a bit of an oil and water thing. And it's like, uh, on top of that, uh, people who did not, I, I have observed where people have not done the right thing with a nonprofit getting very, very burned by it, being burned by not doing the right thing. And so, uh, it's kind of like, I know it's right in there with like, why don't you do TikTok? Isn't TikTok going to like do great things for you in so many different ways? And it's like, I think that that's true. 
So is a nonprofit. And of course, I started doing YouTube before people started like, like I started putting content on YouTube before people started saying, you should put content on YouTube. So now I've got like a hundred thousand subscribers. Whenever I put up a new video, I'm guaranteed to have 200 of those people find out that I put up a new video. And it's like, uh, the system changes. And, and then there's all this mastery. Oh, you gotta do your YouTubes this way now. YouTube changed their algorithm. Do it this other way. Just like TikTok, just like having a nonprofit, you need to have a human being that masters the process. Right. And it's like, I've got, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to get back into gardening. I have done hardly any gardening in the last 10 years. And, and it's like, that's what I really, really, really want to do. But it's like I can't accomplish all the things I, I wish to accomplish if I go and do gardening. And so it's kind of like, all right, so instead I, I do all these other projects. And, of course, it's never enough. All right. I So I love the idea of there being a nonprofit which functions in parallel to what I'm trying to do and uh and and for funds that might come into that nonprofit that are tagged for use within the things that I do that just sounds lovely and delightful and somebody else manages all of the nonprofitude of all of that and um and instead of me uh having to learn yet another thing that sounds like 10 hours of taxes then uh instead uh i'm going to focus more on the modifications to the wafatis or uh new innovations for rocket mass heaters and uh things of that nature is there a way that you could fund you doing more gardening as a path to all these goals? <laughs> I don't see a way to do that. Like incorporating it into gertifying that space, you know, is you gardening and that's your Kickstarter, you know, because you as a personality are a huge draw. I know? see. I don't think I don't think I am. I don't oh, you think are. I'm a huge draw. Ask everybody on this. Well, I mean, we're obviously biased, <laughs> but your YouTube I, videos are an example of how you're a huge draw. My YouTube videos, which are pretty much guaranteed 200 views, those YouTube videos, 200 views, 200, not 200 million, 200. Because Google has kneecapped you, you know, I mean, they just cut you off at the legs because it's changed, if, but... And then we turn around and we tell the dailyish email, hey, Paul's got another YouTube video out. And then we'll get like, now we'll get like 700 views. Nice. 700. That's, that's not big. That's not a big name in anything. So that's, so it's, it's like, uh, no, this is, this is me and a few of my friends. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's what it is. So it's like, uh, and, and I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm open to going off on that topic for a few hours, but this podcast is continued in part three. Have you ever wondered whether a particular book was really good or just so-so, and if you could trust the reviews online? When it comes to books related to permaculture, Permies has a large list of reviews for over 100 books. 
Perhaps you're considering a book for yourself or a friend, or you're just curious about what's out there. Stop by permies.com forward slash book and take a look at the book review grid and read some honest reviews, and hopefully you'll find the next book to add to your collection.